I'm Dr. Jessica Dennison. And I'm Dr. Jesse Dennison. And you are tuned in for episode 19 um, on libraries and literacy. So as Jesse likes to put it, every beginning of the episode, we talk about why this topic. Yes, why this topic? Why this topic? Because reading is important. I would agree, yes. Yeah? Uh, I mean, mean, you need it for basically everything. Driving, grocery shopping, school, work. Internet surfing. Internet surfing. Yeah, just about everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and then <laughs> libraries are funded through public tax dollars, right? Sure. And if we look back at the education episode, we talked about what was important to know about all things education. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was uh, one of the reasons that we talked about education during um, last season was mm-hmm. that it's important to know where your taxpayer dollars are going. Yeah. And... Make informed decisions. Yes. And um, helps to, when you see where it's going, it helps you to understand why those dollars are going in that direction. Instead of going like, why are they making this levy for more library funds? Don't they have enough money already? Right. (laughs) They should have enough books already, right? Right. Yeah. Um, Well, I think part of the things we're going to talk about is libraries are... More than just books anymore. No. What? No. No, no way. <laughs> and then finally, while we still have school libraries that are available, um, it is important to understand the need of a certified school librarian in your child's school. Uh, many school districts are starting to go away from having a certified library media specialist um, or a school librarian and moving towards um, moving towards aides in, in those spots um, and some crucial skills that we're going to talk about in a little bit um, oftentimes get looked over um, when there isn't a certified school librarian in those locations. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so first we're going to talk about literacy, Um, and this is just because reading is required for everything, Um, and literacy isn't just being able to read. Um, When we're looking at it from the standpoint of libraries, a lot of times people just think libraries are books, and that's all... Yep, they're just the. That's just where the books sleep, right? Right. Yep, on the shelves, and we all dress up like Belle and get our ladders and like just dance all around the library, and um, and you sing a little song as you like yeah. put the books away. Absolutely, so much fun. I'm not allowed to share that song. What happens in library school stays in library school. Oh, uh, more secrets, huh? Yeah. Okay. All the secrets. So, um, in library land, (laughs) there are a couple of different types of literacy. The first type of literacy is information literacy. And as defined by the American Library Association, information literacy, um, when a person is information literate, they must be able to recognize when information is needed and have the ability to locate, evaluate, and use effectively the needed information. Um, so, were you going to say something? No, you're going to say, hmm. Um, so, <laughs> boiling down that definition, um, this is basically being able to look for information, so research information, and then once that information is found, knowing what to do with that information. Um, as a certified library media specialist, that's what I'm trained to do. I had an entire class on information literacy, and then a part of that class was then taking the skill of information literacy and being able to teach that to others. Um, Jesse, I don't know if you feel this way, um, but back when I was in high school, I felt like my exposure to the research process um, and just how to look for information in general was kind of 
a watered down version of kind of what is needed in order to be successful nowadays. I, I don't even recall if I received that. I mean, honestly, um, I'm very surprised I got through my dissertation. Yeah. Because it was like a skill I kind of had to pick up mm -hmm. uh, along the way. And uh, I, in fact, did go to the college library. But it was definitely something I just didn't know how to do. Mm -hmm. Because it was not something that was really talked about in my high school. Right. Yep. And that was the same for, same for mine as well. Um, I can tell you as a certified library media specialist who works in a high school, um, that is not the experience that my students currently have um, because of collaborations with teachers across multiple disciplines, um, we find many opportunities to expose our students to the research process that way. Once they graduate and go on to college or into the workforce, they're employed with skills to be able to look for information and know what to know what to do with it. It's definitely very crucial nowadays when uh, it's so hard to know where your information is coming from and whether or not it's a viable thing. Mm hmm and that leads us into media literacy, Jesse. Thinking two steps ahead of me. What? Way to go. Um, <laughs> so media literacy, as defined by the National Association of Media Literacy Education, um, is the ability to access, analyze, evaluate, create, and act using all forms of communication. And with media literacy, access, being able to access, share, and create media across multiple formats and platforms while utilizing critical thinking skills to evaluate the purpose and potential impact of the material. Um, so that's a rather large definition. So not just being able to go and look for information, but being able to kind of cipher through all of the different media messages that accompany information when it's posted on the internet or delivered through a news source or a magazine source, being able to kind of cipher through and filter through some of those biases that are associated with um, whatever platform is communicating that information. Um, so even podcasts. So um, as we're talking, and Jesse's nodding, as we're talking today, there's probably someone out there who disagrees with every word that's coming out of my mouth because they were trained in informational literacy differently than I was trained, or they've been in the field longer and have watched it evolve longer than I have. Um, and, uh, you know, that's where media literacy comes into, <laughs> comes into good play is, you know, we've got that information and we're getting it across many different platforms. Now, what do we do with that information? And it's something I watched uh, a while ago from a TV show called Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. It's very easy to just make your media information look legitimate mm -hmm. you know it was, it was one of the topics that he talked about about how you know they'll just you know like some people who do this i mean it's just very easy they'll just throw some stuff on you know throw a random quote you know bing bang boom done mm -hmm. <laughs> yep and like when i um when I go over media literacy with my students, I always pull up the Bernie Sanders memes um, because media can be manipulated. Yeah. And um, would you like to explain the Bernie Sanders meme? Yeah, absolutely. Like my favorite one to use is one of him sitting in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon with Chewbacca and Han Solo and Luke and. Um, it's, you know. <laughs> it's the uh, picture of him sitting at the. Uh, 2016 inauguration? Mm -hmm. No, 2020. Mm -hmm. The 2020 inauguration. Mm -hmm. He's uh, he's sitting there at, on the chair and he's wearing these gloves and he's got his, arm, he's got his legs crossed and his arms crossed. It's cold, but he just looks like he's just unhappy to be there. And yep. They took that picture and 
they did so many things with it. And I say they like like there's people on the internet. They just you know they put him in the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Put him uh, in a front yard. Put him in the front yard. <laughs> they had little quotes around him. Mm-hmm. Like it was, they anything you could imagine, they 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 did, and you know we're very creative with it. But you know the original picture was him on the like uh, on the stage uh, at the uh, or do they ever they do the inaugurations at I don't know somewhere in Washington D.C. Yeah. Um. And, you know, with that, media literacy has changed significantly from when I was in library school versus now. Um, so I know the biggest uh, biggest thing that we looked at in my media literacy course um, or commercials and um, the messages that we get from commercials. And uh, one of our assignments was we had to watch all of the Super Bowl commercials from that year and make determinations about what kind of messages each of those commercials were trying to communicate. Buy more stuff. Yep. And then he even took it further. Like, we had to watch uh, television programs and um, look for uh, items within the background that were supposed to communicate hidden media messages. And then, um, Ella Grace and I just watched this movie last night, uh, Truman Show. That was another, um, another important aspect of our media literacy course was, um... Because though there, isn't there periods where he's, like, talking to somebody and they'll go into a commercial? Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's just looking at him like, what are you doing? Right, when the twins like shove him up against the billboard um, as they're talking to him. And I know Ella Grace made several comments like, why do they keep pushing him up against that board? And um, it was so they could have a quick commercial. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and then that brings us into digital literacy, which is the ability to use information and communication technologies to find, evaluate, create, and communicate information requiring both cognitive and technical skills. Um, so Jesse's, Jesse's shaking his head. I have no clue. Is that what that was? Yeah, I would. Um, so basically being able to use the internet to locate information or being able to use databases to locate information. Um, Jesse and I were talking the other day about... Um, places that it might not have been you, it might have been one of my library people, um, now that I'm saying it, um, but places where we had to locate information in our college libraries. It was you and I. Yeah. Um, you know, the card catalog, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. you know, or like I was talking about going to our, because we went to the same undergrad, like, oh, I want to find something, and you go to the computer, and you search for the thing and it's like it's on this floor of the library and you go and to that floor and you're like trying to figure out where on that floor it is Mm because it doesn't say like it's in this floor in this section it just says on this floor Mm -hmm. here's the eight number yeah address of it yep (laughs) and like i know i think i i had an experience one time where like i was trying to find something i had the number and i went to where i thought it was and then like like got to the end of the row and it was done and i went to the next one and it had a completely different set of numbers and i'm like where, where does this continue on because obviously mm-hmm. <laughs> it was weird and then um i think i talked about microfiches mm-hmm. and how um you know if you're younger way younger than us and you don't know what the term microfiche is um <laughs> Be glad. Yes. Um, Basically, it was a way to digitize print resources way back. Yeah, they basically just long, long, long time ago. They just Um, took pictures of it. Yep. And they had put it on these uh, film things, and then they would keep the film canisters, and then you would put it in this machine and scroll through it. Mm Mm-hmm. So my favorite experience with locating information using a microfiche was I worked in the religion department at my um, undergrad uh, college. And one of the Hebrew professors 
needed text from a book written completely in Hebrew. And it did not have page numbers. Um, and the mic or he had page numbers, but the book did not have page numbers. And the microfiche page numbers didn't always match up with the page numbers of the actual book or the actual article. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure I did not make copies of the correct um, text, nor did I have it in the correct order. Because at some point, my original copy, I dropped it um, and pages were probably out of order. And then I had to make copies of it after I dropped it. And I'm sure he was back in his office thinking I was a complete idiot. Um, but again, it was in Hebrew. I mean, <laughs> I didn't, I mean, can you speak Hebrew? Can you no. read it? No. Can you write it? No. I think you're okay. I think so too. So, um, <laughs> You know, nowadays we have databases, um, we have the internet that we can go to, we've got Google Scholar, um, you know, academic libraries subscribe to multiple different kinds of databases that we can search information on. And then a lot of them have great annotation tools. So, um, you know, as I'm teaching my students, on how to use some of these uh, tools as they're doing research, I'm always thinking like, man, where the hell was this when I was working on my dissertation? Because this would have made my organization system that much better. Um, you know, I wouldn't have to print out every article and then go through and highlight in the article and then send copies of my highlighted text to my chair. I could just highlight it on a PDF and save it in a Google Doc folder and then send that folder. And, you know, the amount of time that that would cut down was, would have been tremendous. Um, so you youngins be thankful for the tools that you have available. And I know, um, you know, people who are older than us who have gone through the dissertation process are probably like Dr. Dennison shut the fuck up um what, what, <laughs> you what, know what, why are you gonna put down the youngins like that i don't know because i'm sure at some point the people older than us have put us down too so and they kind of like part of the cycle i guess yeah the circle of life mm -hmm. anyways <laughs> know your place um wow <laughs> all right <laughs> um so anyways back with digital literacy um tools that we have available now are significantly different than what they've been in the past so um digital literacy is something that seems to be increasing however the way that technology is used by uh younger generations is different than how like our generation would use it um, so there still is kind of this stigma that because kids have been around technology for their entire life that they know how to use technology and there are tons of aspects of technology that can still be taught to both adults and students and pretty much everybody I, using I, it. You know, when I think back to when I was in my first job, like because I had been more exposed to computers than my supervisors and who were getting computers to do electronic note taking because that's not what they used. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, this was, you know, the 2010s. Mm -hmm. So it was really just blowing my mind in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I was often considering like, you know, primary tech support, despite the fact that I don't know nothing about any computers mm -hmm. and my first go-to thing is did you reset it which is usually what every tech person has ever told me you know so you'd be surprised how many times that fixes a thing right but again like because i knew more than because i knew how to like type i knew how to do certain things on a computer i i i, I knew i i was because any more than them, I obviously was tech. Mm -hmm. You know, you run into that all the time. Mm -hmm. Because I sit in front of a computer and I take well, not, you, you not can, working Chromebooks in for... <laughs> you, you have all these technology things in your workspace mm -hmm. and you know how to 
hook them up and make them do things that people go, well, what? Mm -hmm. I didn't know you could do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and as a result, that makes you, you, you have technology, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's one of your things. Well, and I think it's a combination of that and knowing how to use different types of technology tools um, to integrate into instruction that because I know how to take a website and use that website in my instruction and use it in a way where it's not just, Oh, Hey, I'm sending you to this website to use it. Like actually walking them through step-by-step how it's beneficial and then how they can use it in the future. Then that also makes me an expert on anything that happens to have a cord. Because if I know what I'm talking about with that, then surely the nuts and bolts of working in a device that I'm able to pull that up on, mm-hmm. I surely should know that too. Yeah. So that's my best guess with, <laughs> with that. Who really knows? Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just easier to ask someone else because we don't know how to do it. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm located in the same space where people who are able to do um to fix computers work then you know i must gain that skill by osmosis or just by proximity um so who knows (laughs) all right so um you know talking about all these different types of literacy um libraries can support all of these types of literacy um not just by the books that are located within that space but being able to access um different sources of information and then having staff nearby who are highly trained and skilled in locating information um being able to analyze and uh make decisions and support critical thinking in um using that information to communicate good messages and um uh you know like i shared with technology being able to take different types of tech tools and integrate them into different areas of life it doesn't just have to be instruction um you know you can go to the library and learn how to sew um and that's a technology that's being um being integrated into um different areas of life um so and a lot of times people think that um you know oh i can learn that on my own i mean i can tell you i I wouldn't be able to learn how to sew on my own um i i know resources to go to to look for information about how to sew on my own um but to teach myself willy-nilly maybe maybe not um i mean you know at one point we needed to replace a toilet in one of our houses and i looked up a youtube video about how to do it but i would not call classify myself as a plumber in right any sense of the word like i stumbled my way through that mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep <clears throat> but you use the source of information mm-hmm. to figure out how to do that yeah um, and, you know, as a librarian, um, you know, one of my big hangups with, they're called maker spaces now. Um, one of my like hesitation about adding it was having to be the expert on everything that I put in my maker space. And I've learned, I don't have to, I can show them where the materials are, different things that they can do with the materials. But in the end, they're the ones going and finding the information and then using that information to create, um, you know, a a robot Lego or, um, you know, build a circuit that completes a task. Um, That's not me saying this is what you're going to make today. Um, They're going in and participating in that activity and finding their own information and then using that information in a way that makes sense and teaches them a skill that they then can take out into, out into the world. So there's, 
I, I mean, we probably could do a whole episode on makerspace. Um, there are so many different skills that can be taught there, and it doesn't necessarily just have to be a technology skill. It can be, I'm going to learn how to work with a partner because that's an important skill that I need to develop when I go on to be an adult. Mm -hmm. I need to know how to work in a team, and it, maybe it's a person I get along with, maybe it's a person that... I don't necessarily get along with and you know the library is a place that they can do that and have a environment where it there's a risk involved but it might not be um as risky as being out and about and you know potential conflict so um, so types of libraries, or moving on, you've got the public library and then your school library. Um, What's the difference? Funding, funding source, school library is obviously located in a school. Um, and then public library includes books not just for children and teens, but also adults. Um, school libraries could be uh, in universities too, right? Mm-hmm. So, thank you for uh, interjecting that. Um, you know, I have a tendency to kind of get pigeonholed in my, um, you know, where my domain is. And absolutely in universities um, as well. Um, so, within, um, you know, public library and school library books are organized on the shelf. Um and you might be asking yourself, how on earth are books organized? Um, how on earth are <laughs> books organized? So there's this thing. It's called Dewey Decimal. What? What? Yeah. That's still a thing? It is still a thing. And Jesse asked that question that pretty much 95% of the people who set foot into the library will ask me. Um, you know, is Dewey still a thing? Um, so, and there's a lot of different areas of thought out there on Dewey. Um, so there are some libraries that are getting away from using Dewey, um, because, and if we look back at history, Dewey was not a great person. Um, and Jess is making a look like, I don't know anything about that. Or... I do not. I do not know who this person is. <laughs> I just know that it, I'm assuming it was like a lot of things in history where there wasn't a thing and somebody's like, it should be a thing. And then somebody's like, well, here's a thing. And then everybody just accepted it. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. Um, so he's very sexist and, um, what? Yeah. A person, a male, a white male in history <laughs> was sexist. Right. <laughs> Shock. <laughs> so... Um, there's a lot of schools of thought out there about we need to ditch Dewey, we need to get away from Dewey. Um, I mean, if more than just because of what we just said, right? yeah, okay. yeah. If you're a librarian listening to this, I have no hard feelings if you choose to leave Dewey. I, um, you know, the numbers and the letters work for me and work for my students in terms of being able to locate books and, um, you know. For me, when a student walks in, I'm there step-by-step step with them, helping them to locate the information. So whether or not it's exactly in the area that it would fall within the Dewey Decimal numbers, um, according to Mir's book catalog, is um, kind of up in the air. Um, so... This is where I tell my students I'm a bad librarian because I don't have them memorized because there's <gasps> no possible way to have them all memorized. Like, yes. this is like a 1,500-page book of numbers. And the absurdity of it, um, you know, it is if it's science is what gets me. And I was sharing about this during a meeting the other day. It could be biology, a biology book. But if it's about the applied science of biology, that goes in a completely different section than where the biology books go. Um, and, yes, yeah, so you're looking at me like, why does this matter? In the <laughs> Dewey Decimal System, it does matter. Because if I'm a patron going in, 
and I'm looking for an applied science book of biology, which seems absurd because, you know, who in their right mind is going in and looking for a specific book and making sure that it falls within this number? There are people out there who make sure that it falls within this certain number. Mm. Uh-huh. Um... <laughs> You know, it's almost like the Dewey police go around to double-check libraries to make sure that oh, no. they're cataloging correctly. What if it's a book that falls into multi-categories? Hmm. That's where it gets tricky, because then it is whichever one is the one that is more prevalent, um, which mm. then how do you measure prevalence within that? I, I mean... Your guess is as good as mine. Statistics? Maybe. <laughs> you know? Maybe we go to the index and look at it. My cataloging professor, if he's listening to this, is probably like, Jessica, you learned nothing. Um, <laughs> so, you know how I do it? See, see now, now I get to make a literary reference. You know nothing, Jon Snow. There yeah. it is. <laughs> so, how I do it is <laughs> whatever number populates <laughs> for my mark record when I go to catalog a book. Close enough. Um, wow. <laughs> that's, that's the direction that we end up going with that. Because, huh. I mean, really, with nonfiction, it's going to stay relevant for five years. And then in, you know, seven-ish years, I'm going to end up having to weed this book anyways. Mm-hmm. That's weed, W-E-E-D, not read with a... Um, with a, a speech impediment? Yeah. Um well, if it, if it makes you feel any better, uh, you know, the Bible for my profession is the, the Di- Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders. And uh, I probably know off the top of my head about 10 of them. I could easily, readily, you know, say, and there's probably a good 200 in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Zero to nine ninety nine um, <laughs> is what it goes. Yeah, but it's zero to nine ninety nine point whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in case you're curious, the zeros, one hundreds, two hundreds, three hundreds, all the way up to nine hundreds stand for different areas of discipline, and then the tens and um, ones stand for an area within that discipline and then the decimal point that's where you get into some goofy like the applied nature of this the technical nature of this um so if we're looking at animal books um holy crap like the amount of decimal points that go along with that Mm -hmm. um so ones that i know off the top of my head 741.5 are graphic novels. Um, Eight Eleven is poetry, um, and the only reason I know those is because my graphic novel section is um, in a completely different area than my nonfiction books are, because I have a larger collection of graphic novels. That's so still pretty impressive. They take up multiple spaces. Um, and then 970s is like some type of history book. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you off the top of my head, but it does fall within history. And then somewhere in the 700s is also sports books. And then 551 is like animal books. Um, so, and that I remember from my elementary days of where are the animal books at? Um, and I was always smart. I had my animal books on the bottom because, um, you know, you want you want your users to be able to access the books that they need. Yeah. So, um, so yes, Dewey is still a thing. Um, one of the biggest things that I want to make sure that our listeners take away today is that when you're in the library, talk to the librarians. Um, they're not zoo animals that are just sitting there working um i don't know if i've ever like talked to a librarian beyond the fact of you know can i use this computer mm-hmm. like you've never asked like hey where are your whatever books or no nah, i figure i'll just figure it out yes yeah. usually usually 
they'll have like a thing that says you know fiction and then type of fiction mm -hmm. like on the edges of the um uh, shelves yeah so. what about book recommendations do you ever go to them for book recommendations or is it more like i walk in and i already know what i want and I, I walk in, I have a generalized idea of what I want. I go to the area where I feel like I'm going to find that. Mm -hmm. And if I find it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. Mm -hmm. I leave, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't really talk to them. Again, this is back in the day where, like, don't you dare talk above a whisper in this library. <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll get rulers out and, and start smacking you and all mm -hmm. that. That's how old I am, I guess. I don't know. Um, you know, um, I was talking to my friend who, we went to the same high school, but, you know, slightly different times. I was a little older than he was. And uh, I said something about, you know, I was talking about you and then how, you know, like, that, you know, we didn't have to deal with some of this stuff back when we were in school, you know, and I don't even remember our high school librarian. And he looked at me and goes, we had a librarian? Yeah, we had a librarian. I just don't remember who it was. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> so that really said a lot mm. about, you know, like he didn't even know we had a library <laughs> in the school. Mm -hmm. Like that was... And, and I know we did. It was very small, but yeah. it was there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did you ever use yours or? No. 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 I might have went to the public library mm -hmm. uh, that we had in our in our little town, but even then, no. I mean, I the only time I really used a library was in college. And that was the school libraries. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I did my dissertation, I talked to, uh, I don't know if there was a librarian or, or a research specialist. I don't know what they designated this individual as. And, mm -hmm. you know, I hate to say it, but he didn't do anything differently than I could have done on my own. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> <laughs> it was still kind of helpful. Yeah. So. I don't know. I didn't use my high school library. Mm -hmm. um, not for lack of trying. Like, well, I what went, happened when you first walked into your library? Well, he yelled at me and told me to get out. What? And, I, you know, it, there may have been an event going on in there. Or, you know, he might have been having a bad day. But. That stuck with me, and it made me not want to come back. And, uh, you know, when I did go, it never seemed to have the books that I was looking for. Like, I loved Fear Street books um, when I was in high school. And Who wrote that? R.L. Stein wrote Fear Street. Who also wrote? Uh, Goosebumps. Um, and, uh... He had no R.L. Stein books. I think he had a few Stephen King books in there, but they were all ones that I'd already read, and he never got any new ones. And, um, you know, I just couldn't find anything on the shelf that was a book that wasn't a book that I was having to read in my English class. So, um, you know, the books that I pretended to read just so... Um, you know, I'd skim them enough so I had a general idea of what was going on so I could contribute to conversations in English class and get a good grade. What? <laughs> yeah. That's so why when kids ask me, like, have you ever read this book that I'm reading for English? Yeah. <laughs> in my head, it's really, no, because I am pretty sure I skimmed through that one and totally. just skirted by in the classroom discussions and... But they were books that weren't interesting to me. And, um, you know, when a student walks in and can find a book that reflects who they are or who they want to be or someone who looks and thinks like them and maybe is going through an experience that's similar to an experience that they are going through, it gives them hope. Um, and, 
that just wasn't what I found in, in my space. So, um, you know, definitely something to think about, but you know, talking to librarians is important because they always have good book recommendations. I know our daughter thought this was like a super hero power that I just magically came across when we did family book club and we read star girl mm-hmm. and she was amazed oh, that I, she didn't want to read it. She did it. And then when she read it and was like, how did you know I was going to like this book? Um, like that's kind of my job. <laughs> well, I think that kind of speaks to an element there because, um, yeah, there are many different types of people who do their jobs. And there are some who will try to go take it to the, you know, through the letter is how they're supposed to do it. And others will just be like, I'm just going to put away books. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just do the stereotypical thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but, I mean, librarians are highly skilled and trained um, at helping you find a book that is the perfect fit for you. Like, my favorite thing, Jesse, is when, like, we're talking to other adults and they find out that I'm a librarian and they feel like they have to justify why they haven't read a book lately. Um, like, it cracks me up. It doesn't matter who we're talking to. It could be family. Um, and they feel like they have to kind of... Um, I, I have noticed that your mom makes a, an important point to talk about the book she's reading. Yeah. <laughs> on a regular basis. So, it was like they have to go to book club confession. Like, oh, I haven't read 40 pages this week. <laughs> dear, dear Jessica, forgive me. It has been 45 days since my last confession. Let me give you 10 chapters as your... Uh... Penance. <laughs> but let me let you in on a secret. During the pandemic, I did not read at all what i say during we're still in the middle of the pandemic yeah. no, that's not true you when the pandemic first broke out well, i did not read um, you were you were trying to figure out what you were <laughs> you were trying to figure out how you could continue to do your job digitally yep <laughs> like that was very stressful for you it was so <laughs> I, I i think you, you get a bit of a pass i do but, I mean, even then, I still did that well. Like, a big part of my job is connecting with whomever walks into that space. And finding a way to kind of create that same atmosphere when we were all at home was incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, so, so, speaking of superpowers of librarians, uh, we the three of us all read the book Stargirl. Mm-hmm. I read it in four hours. Now, granted, it's targeted for what age group uh middle age group so fifth to eighth grade fifth to eighth grade i read it in four hours Mm -hmm. would you like to tell everybody how long it took you to read that book less than two less than two Mm -hmm. and how it's like a 200 page book let's see it's probably about 200 pages yeah it's about 200 pages right that took me four hours and I was lucky to have the time to actually just read it. It took our daughter a couple days because she didn't really actually want to read it. And then she got actually into it. And then she was able to finish it. Mm-hmm. But, like, uh, you started it. I went to the store and back. And you were done. Yep. 186 pages. And I was like, because I was all proud of myself. Like, I read this whole book in one afternoon. Mm-hmm. It took me, like, four hours. You're like two. And I'm like, (laughs) can't even. Well, and, you know, part of it was actually read the book before. Um, Cheater. No. It's using your resources. I told somebody else that the other day when uh, we were talking about cataloging. And, oh, if I don't know the number, I just look it up in somebody else's catalog. I'm sure that's cheating. It's like, no. Using your resources. Somebody else has already done the work. Just make sure you give them credit. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what I was taught to do in the military. It's like, oh, you want to put a presentation together? We'll see if somebody else has already done the presentation. Make some changes. And that's your presentation now. Yep. Work harder, not smarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Um, what are other ways librarians can be helpful? Oh, I mean, they're just good people to talk to. Um, I mean, your profession, you're a good person to talk to, right? In well, I'm, and outside I'm paid of to be. yeah. In and outside of the office. True, like, true. You know. I, I try to be personable right. uh, as often as possible because, you know, it. I've run into some people who are just really cold mm-hmm. uh, in my profession. And I'm just like, how do they do this? <laughs> and I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do an amazing job. Mm-hmm. You know? But... Uh, I find like it's hard to fake genuineness, mm-hmm. so I just try to be genuine. I try to be me all the time, mm-hmm. you know, and just recognize that you know people love me or not, right? And I feel like you're about to say something like that's the same thing for me. Yep. Well, and you know we've got this awful media stigma out there about what librarians are and how they act and I don't know I feel like I'm always trying to overcompensate for what what the media paints our jobs out to be um well I mean I think part of that was because those people who write those things ended up in the libraries that you and I were in mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily quote unquote bad stereotype because it's probably what what it was right, yep. at one point it's just not anymore mm-hmm. so. yeah no my favorite has been the librarians that have been on jeopardy um as of late um so they're kind of badasses so <laughs> oh they know lots of information all right, so um, let's talk for a minute about uh, books for people who don't like to read. Because um, that's something else that people usually will tell me is, I don't like to read. Well, then we're not reading the right books. Um, so some books that you might want to look at if you're someone who doesn't like to read. Graphic novels are great. Um, what is a graphic novel? Graphic novel similar to a comic book. Um, and, oh, so it's just a comic book. Yeah. Comic books can fall under graphic novels. There also are, like, novel adaptations but that see, I are want to read a book. brought into graphic novels. Now you want to read a book. So then you go look for a diverse book title. If you no, no, no. See, I'm saying, like, when somebody says, you know, I don't like to read books, and you offer them a graphic novel, isn't that, like, a, a way that somebody might respond to you, like... Oh, but, you know, I want, like, a book book, not, like, mm -hmm. a kid's book. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, my students, if I bring them to a graphic novel, they're like, oh, hey, this looks good. Um, and then they end up taking it. But 90% of it is the way that you sell the book. Like, if you're like, ugh, here's this book about dogs, you know, the likelihood that someone's going to take that book... Mm -hmm. is pretty minimal but if you're like here's this book about a dog who goes and saves its owner from a fire and then they're walking from the fire to this place and the dog gets lost and has to find his way back to the owner and um you know you sell it that way it's like man i want to find out what happens in this book i is, know you're probably telling yourself like i don't really care because i don't like dogs yeah. but isn't that homeward bound probably um <laughs> I'm trying to think of like what the what's there the wasn't plot? a fire in that one. Oh. It was they ran away or something, but pretty much the same thing. Just yeah. an extra dog and a cat. Yeah. All right. So, so diverse books. Ty diverse books is um, you know if you look back to our diversity episode, we talked a little bit about diversity in books. Um, mm -hmm. So. Diverse books are um, books that feature many different types of characters and, um, you know, reflect uh, students who are in those spaces, um, LGBTQ titles, um, titles of titles with characters who are people of color, 
um, different types of experiences, uh, different types of hardships, um, all kinds of books fall within diverse books. Um, and then audiobooks is another type of book that um, you can do. If you don't want to sit and stare at pages, you can listen to a book on audio. Um, and actually, while we were working, not remotely, but our kids were remote, but we were within the building. Um, a lot of my day I spent listening to audiobooks as I was working on other things um, because it was a way to multitask and still, um, you know, still be able to read and find books that would make for good book recommendations for students um, and get other work done. I, I do know podcasts are kind of becoming the uh, audiobook of the of the presence yep. depending on what they are i know there's a few like those are true crime podcasts that mm -hmm. are basically like you know this is this is this is a potential true story right <laughs> so um thinking about diverse books a lot of times books that have Diverse characters end up becoming books that get challenged um, quite a bit in libraries. Um, so we'll talk a minute about what leads to a book being challenged. Um, basically, any book that makes adults uncomfortable um, and might warrant a uncomfortable conversation between an adult and a child. Um Typically, those types of topics are books that tend to get challenged a little and bit more. Just like you said, with our tie into our diversity episode, you know, if if, if the conversation is comfortable, you're probably not doing it right. Mm -hmm. So similar to this, if the book isn't like again, you have your comfortable books, you know, your Go Dog Goes, your <laughs> whatever books there. But then there are the ones that go, oh, I have to think about this. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. Well, and I feel like there are lots more opportunities for diverse authors to get their voices out there than what were available when we were younger. Um, I know a lot of the books that I have on my shelves were probably books that I needed in high school. Um, I can think of no fewer than two that I've read within the past month that once I finished that book, I was like, where was this book when I was 16? Or where was this book when I was 17? Um, I think there was one I had read, um, I want to say it was called The Year I Stopped Trying. Um, and the character was a perfectionist and... She didn't turn in a homework assignment and nothing bad happened to her. And then she started to play around with not turning in other homework assignments and nothing bad happened to her. But, you know, she had it painted in her head that all of this bad, bad stuff is going to happen if I don't get all my work done. And, you know, I very much related to that in high school. I was a perfectionist. I still am a perfectionist and... I'm a recovering perfectionist. Yeah. I like that so much better. <laughs> but, you know, being able to read about a character who had a similar experience to me and had similar feelings to me and seeing how they coped with that could have been beneficial to me at, you know, 16, 17. And um, sometimes with situations that happen within these diverse books it's uncomfortable for adults because you know back in our day um you know i'm like cringing because i'm saying back in our day um you know these things weren't socially accepted or talked about and they were just kind of swept under the rug and not handled or not dealt with and because it would call attention to us or it would make un other people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the intent behind the uncomfortableness is... To spark change. Yeah, and to inform. Um, and that's exactly what our diverse authors are doing right now. And it's uncomfortable 
Um, and, you know, books that feature sex or talk about sexual orientation um, or have witchcraft or supernatural um, elements within them. And then people from marginalized backgrounds as main characters. Um, these are the books that are being challenged right now. Um, and there's this thing, it's called intellectual freedom. And the American Library Association defines intellectual freedom as the right of every individual to both seek and receive information from all points of view. And it provides free access to all expressions of ideas through which any and all sides of a question, cause, or movement may be explored. And then they go on to further say, parents and only parents have the right and responsibility to restrict the access of their children and only their children uh, to library resources. So it's one thing to say, I don't think this book is appropriate um, for my child. It's another thing to say, this book needs to be pulled off of the shelf because it makes me uncomfortable and I want to protect everybody else from this book. I, Go I, ahead. I, I think, again, this is where it gets a little dumb. It's like, I can't protect my child if the world doesn't change the way I want it to. Mm -hmm. And that's really part of the problem is, is like, again, it goes back to the diversity comment is like, well, the world, as I knew it, was like this. And you're telling me it's different. And I don't like that. I don't like the way that makes me feel because I feel bad that it's like that. And therefore, it must not be right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have these books, these different pieces of media that are essentially doing similar things. Right, right. So um, just keeping you informed that that's a thing that's out there. If you were to go Google book challenges and just pick a state, um, you know, pick Texas or pick Virginia or Florida, they've got a lot of them going on right now. Um, Wasn't there one with like Indiana recently? Indiana had one recently. Um, and, you know, sometimes you get in there and you look at the absurdity of it, but... Then we go back to media literacy and, you know, media outlets are reporting on this and then people in other states are going zero to like 180 miles per hour on book titles. Um, and it's just, it's bonkers right now. Um, you know, it was exhausting in the fall. Now it's just, it's so dumb. Um, <laughs> so... I think, uh, I think there was something recently in an Ohio school as well. I can't remember. Yep, up in Hudson, um, and it was a college textbook. Um, so it was, it wasn't even a high school um, textbook. It was a text, or it was a book that was required for a college class. That was being taken through um, College Credit Plus. And it was just a book of different types of questions that served as writing prompts. And, um, you know, college students and what is acceptable content for college students is different for high school students. Um, and... You know, the the most simple solution to this was just not write on that prompt. Pick a different prompt. Um, you know, we recognize that the pro these prompts are in here, but let's write on a different prompt. That is the most, <laughs> the easiest solution. But nope, it has to be, we're going to pull this book because there's inappropriate book prompts in here. And Well, it's like the similar concept when somebody says, oh, this movie is awful. Okay, don't watch it. Right. Oh, this book is awful. Don't read it. Don't read it. I, I, I don't comprehend or this whole belief that everything has to fit within this concept mm -hmm. of... I mean, what always gets me is, is when people like think to themselves, like, well, if we allow this, then you know people are just going to run up and down the street naked and 
cursing and mm-hmm. you know throwing firebombs everywhere you know just just general anarchy and no um but it is what it is <laughs> oh so and i feel like we could probably go on for a whole nother hour about challenging books and whatnot so make that a note that might be a good episode for next season jesse um, so let's talk about, let's lead into some wrap up stories. So you had shared, like, you don't remember much of your high school library. Is yeah. there any kind of experience within a library that you remember? Um, when I was like really young and God, I just, you know really digging into the memory banks here uh i was in like grade school like second grade maybe first grade i don't know and we were in the library getting books or something and i don't know some some i somehow got in trouble not because I was the one who did something wrong, because I was the kid next to the, you know. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I got told to go stand in a corner. <laughs> yeah. In the library. In the library. Oh no. <laughs> and I had like a loose tooth, and I was like playing with it, and I ended up, um, you know, uh, dislodging my tooth. And that's what got me out of trouble. Because, <laughs> like, I was bleeding fairly profusely from my mouth. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, my, um, you know, my best memory of um, being in a library um, when I was in elementary school, um, probably second or third grade, um, our librarian, her name, no joke, was Mrs. Goody. Um, and she was so, so sweet. Um, she had glasses and like brown curly hair. Um, and I'm pretty sure she had like a Southern accent. Um, and oh, it might've been kindergarten because we had the letter people. Um, and we would get so excited because she would do the letter people with us and, you're not familiar with what the letter people are. They are like um, beach ball material blow up letters. Um, and the vowels were all female and the consonants were all males. And I remember having a hard time with that because that meant that there were more males than there were females and there should have been a healthy balance. Um, but they had like arms and legs and faces and... Um, you know, objects that started with that letter were within their outfit. Um, and they were like my absolute favorite. Um, but I remember she did an author visit and I don't remember the name of the author. It was someone local to, um, local to Baltimore. This is when I lived in Maryland and, um, the author wrote a book. It was called Oswald and the Timber Doodles. Um, and the author wrote like the super personal message in my book. It was like, Jessica, you're so unique, just like Oswald. And I still have that book. Um, you know, this is well over 30 years ago. Um, but she always had fun things like that that happened within the library. Um, even like when we did film strips, um, you knew you were super important if she had you responsible for the film strip, either putting it back in the canister or loading it on the film strip machine. Um, like she always found ways to make you feel important when you stepped into that space. Um, and you know, she was inspiration for me, um, but you know, my middle and high school librarians also were inspiration for what I didn't want to do. Um, so, but I always will remember Mrs. Goody. Um, and, you know, I remember her name because of how she treated me versus 
my middle and high school, I probably couldn't tell you anything about them because, yeah, you know, I just didn't care. Um, I, I know um, the only thing I remember is like when I was in middle school, I don't remember if it was from the library or not, but like at some, at some point, uh, I came across this uh, book called Maniac McGee by Jerry Spinelli. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that book. It was one of my favorite books of all time. And um, I have no idea. No idea if it was like a librarian, an English teacher. No idea. Mm-hmm. But I came across this book. It might have been like a scholastic book fair. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only other thing I really remember from like grade school is the scholastic book fairs mm-hmm. um with the posters yeah and... like well it's kind of funny because like something i read uh about scholastic book fairs was uh it was this whole idea to try to get you know kids to read books and some of the people who were in charge of the publishing company was like this will never work kids don't read books Hmm. Yeah. And yet some of like the best, you know, books that came out in mm-hmm. that time or some of the more popular ones were like, you know, the Goosebumps series, the Animorphs series, mm-hmm. the whatever. Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah, but I mean like the actual fictional books, mm-hmm. you know, were because Scholastic took a chance and just said just make a bunch of cheap books kids don't care Mm -hmm. you know and they loved them Mm -hmm. because you know maybe the authors were just like "Uh, sure kid stuff you know but you know they they started to get uh in there a bit more and it was and it was great like i never read any animorphs books but um you know i read scary stories tell in the dark and i read like i said maniac mcgee and Mm -hmm. you know i did read comic books but that was a whole other thing Awesome. All right. Well, time to bring it on home. We already are home. We are home. Yeah. The episode. Bring it on home. Oh. Oh. So, thank you for listening to us today. Um, I'm Dr. Jessica Dennison. And I'm Dr. Jesse Dennison. And um, next week's episode will be the last one for this season, right? Yes, yep. next one. And it'll be on communication. What? I said it'll be on communication. Uh, I see what I did there. Mm-hmm. I totally see what you did there. Like, she gave me this look of, like, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then felt the need to repeat it, so they knew what what was really going on here. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just be glad we don't do this, like, a video, because people would just see all your eye rolls. I know. It'd be a whole episode of eye rolls. <laughs> oh. So thank you for listening to us today. Please make sure to follow us on social media at the Doctors Denison on Facebook, Twitter, Insta, and TikTok. <laughs>